Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Here we are again. I don't know if you know, but we actually um, we actually hit the number one spot. Wow. The Religion and Spirituality Podcasts on iTunes over Christmas. How many It's the competition, yes, exactly. <laughs> Probably means three people have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea, actually, how many that means. But, um, well, let's just but it was quite the pleasing. And never mind the reality. <laughs> yes, <of> it. <laughs> yes, it was quite pleasing. But anyway, we are here again, and uh, this time it is um, the usual home team. We have Mike. Hello. Mike Lloyd and uh, Jane Williams. Hello. And myself, Graham Tomlin. And uh, this is Godpod. Well, we're going to... Um, uh, deal with a number of questions that have been been sent in by by listeners um the last couple of god pods we've had some some visitors but as we've got our home team today we're just going to look at some of the emails that have, have come in we've got some very we probably good ones. won't be number one we're just the home team <laughs> <are we? laughs> and to number 643 <laughs> but we've got some very good questions that have been uh, sent in by people so i do encourage you to keep on sending them in and um, as i say we, we can't always promise to answer all of them but we'll have a go so today in a packed program we're going to look at three um, really interesting issues. First one is about forgiveness. What do you do when you offer forgiveness but it isn't received? We'll be looking at whether we can sin in the new heaven and the new earth and the new age and the resurrection, uh, whether we might fall all over again. And we'll be looking at the question of whether animals go to heaven. So the first one is um, one that came from uh, someone who's asking a question about forgiveness. And... Um, it's quite a long and, and, and detailed um, story, a very interesting story that's there, which we won't go into detail about. But basically, it's about um, what do you do uh, if you offer forgiveness to someone and they refuse to accept it? Um, I think the story is really of, of someone who's um, there's obviously been a break in a relationship, and um, uh, this person has recognised they did something wrong and has, has expressed um, contrition, repentance, sorrow, whatever you call it. And uh, the person who they've offended uh, can't seem to forgive them, and um, so forgiveness has been, has been offered, but it's not it's not actually been received, and therefore the relationship is still still broken. And this person's wondering, what on earth do, do you do at that point? So, um, uh, so the question is, um, is is really this: What do you do if uh, you try to see a relationship restored in that way, but uh, it won't happen? I suppose I want to say that forgiveness is is like love. You can offer it, but you can't make the other person accept it. And you have to go on. It seems Jesus makes it clear that it's our Christian duty. Is it, is it Peter who asks, how many times must I forgive somebody? Mm. Um, obviously hoping for a nice round number so you can tick it off and say, right, I've done that. And now um, I can stop. Yeah, now I can stop, exactly. Mm. And, and mm. Jesus' answer makes it clear that you don't stop, that mm. it is part of being a Christian to, to live with the assumption that you will forgive and go on forgiving, even if it's not accepted, even if it doesn't seem to make any difference. I think one of the things I found very interesting about this story is that, um, from the, the listener who sent in the question, is that she admits um, that she did make a mistake um, and she, she herself has learned something from that um, and I think needs to take the positive side of, of what has come out of it for her own spiritual uh, and and Christian maturity. And then perhaps 
um, let it go. It may be that if if, her, if if what she's offering is simply not being accepted, she has to go on offering it, but assume that maybe somebody else now has to take up the pastoral care of that person. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I know this isn't the question asked, and therefore in any kind of a school exam would not go down well as an answer. Um, but I want, I'd like to look at it from the point of view of the person who finds it really hard to forgive mm. um, somebody's apologized they know they should forgive they know they you know but they can't do it um, and I think I, I just want to say that to encourage people in that position and indeed on the other end of it to remember that pr- forgiveness is a process and that there is a um, a future dimension to forgiveness um, I one of my favourite novels uh, is a Russian novel, a Siberian novel, actually. Um, it's in translation, uh, called Year of Miracle and Grief by Leonid Borodin. And uh, there's an interesting conversation between a boy and his mother about what happened when he broke the gramophone. Mm. Um, and uh, one of the questions is, how could you forgive me, given that the gramophone remained broken? Yes. And I, th- I found that really helpful because it was a way of saying actually forgiveness is not complete until the putting right of all things uh, it's it's dependent upon that future event uh, it would be very difficult to forgive if you didn't know that everything was going to be put right in the end um, and in a sense we draw on that fact when we forgive we anticipate that fact when we when we forgive um, and for many people it's it's a process between now and then I think uh, and it's a matter of where you are on the spectrum. You try and get further along the spectrum, as far along the spectrum as you can. And almost, even if you have to say, I can't be in a relationship with you right now, but I don't want this thing ultimately to block uh, a relationship with you, <laughs> that's that's getting the thing moving, at least. Uh, and personally, I think that's sometimes all, mm. all that one can hope for, particularly where people have been really devastatingly hurt um, mm. or when actually the restoration of a relationship now would be inappropriate which it sometimes is uh, so I think that that's yeah. just setting it in its, sure. to give it its technical term eschatological context yeah. really. I think the other thing I, I'd add to that is it um, again I mean looking at it again from the perspective of the person who's offering mm. forgiveness yes, which was after all the question which was the question yes. um, but, um, but your comment was very helpful Mike. Yeah. <laughs> um I mean, it's it's a painful thing, isn't it, to to offer forgiveness and to offer love and and to have it rejected, and um, uh, and you can sense something of the, of the pain of this person just just reading reading the email. But but I, I mean, one other way of looking at it is is to just to to see it as as a little bit of a window into the heart of God, and uh, to see this experience of having forgiveness uh, spurned and, and and rejected even when it's offered as as just a glimpse into into the um, the heart of God and how God feels when he, he views a world where he offers forgiveness and offers love and constantly does that, but repeatedly finds it rejected. And um, sometimes the experience is like that when uh, when it is deeply, deeply painful and deeply hurtful for us, just uh, just begins to enable us to, to understand something more about God, a dimension of God that we, we don't otherwise think of. We often think of God as, 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 as loving and kind and generous and and all of that, which are kind of nice, um, pleasant images, um, and we, we we think of the cross maybe as something that happened in the past two thousand years ago, and and that was you know Jesus went through the cross, but he got through that, and he's now in the resurrection, and it's all fine. Um, but of course, 
God goes on offering forgiveness and love and healing within his in his world, but but so often it, it's rejected and 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 for us to go through that experience might just enable us to experience to, to understand a little bit more about God than we we, we ever knew before. Something of, of the pain of God that continues. There's a sense in which the cross is done once and for all. Um, that is a work of God that has won our forgiveness, and that's done, dusted, finished. But there's another sense in which that pain is always there as part of the heart of God, as He looks upon a very, very damaged and, and hurting world. And, and for us to experience something of that from from the inside um, is not always a, a bad thing. So, so I guess it's saying that yes, this is a it's, it's a painful and difficult thing, and it's something that that is ongoing. But forgiveness is often a painful and difficult thing, and love is a painful and difficult thing. But that is part of the path of walking the cross that we that we. That we are, um, we're invited into in the Christian life, and if it was something nice and neat and easy, when every time we offered forgiveness, it was re- received and the relationship was restored, um, well, it would be nice if that was the case. But that's often mm. not the case, and that's how God experiences the world. So, and that's a very helpful thing to say, I think. I mean, I and I take Mike's point that there are some cases where it wouldn't be possible or helpful or healthy to res- to hope for a restored relationship in this lifetime. I'm not, one might think, for example, a very serious case of child abuse. Exactly, yeah. Um, mm. but, but I think the underlying assumption of the gospel is that the more you... that, that forgiveness and being forgiven are connected concepts mm. um, and mm. that the more you f- can forgive others, the more you can accept forgiveness yourself. Mm. Um, and the more you accept forgiveness yourself, the more you can forgive others. Mm. Um, and so that there's a, a real learning curve that's a necessary part of being a Christian about being in reciprocal relationships and sure. being prepared to be honest and admit your faults yeah. and expect to be able to test the love of your brothers and sisters mm-hmm. by asking them to forgive you. Which is a, it's an important perspective, isn't it? Because I think, I mean, again, going back to the, the angle of the person who, who finds it hard to express or to, to receive forgiveness, you know, who are they hurting in the long term? Actually, it's probably more themselves than mm. anybody else. Yeah. Um, and the the healthy good thing to be able to do is to be able to give and receive forgiveness and 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 I suspect that probably what's what's happening on the other side that someone who's unable to receive forgiveness so there there's obviously something something we're not quite right there there's some there's some pastoral need that is probably goes much deeper than yeah. just this particular yeah. incident mm. and so i I think it's a it's a way of saying that maybe the person who's writing this email doesn't need to beat themselves up too much about it they've done what what God does he's offered forgiveness mm. offered love um as far as they they can. Um, but as Mike says, I think it may be that there are other pastoral needs in this other person that needs to need mm. to be mm. addressed, in, like an ability to trust, for instance, sure. which is often right. a very damaged yeah. uh, ability yeah. in, in many of us. Mm. I mean, I think the other thing is is just worth remembering the, what Paul says about in so far as it is possible, live at peace with all people. Yeah, uh, and that's a very realistic statement. Yeah. It's not going to be possible. Uh, it's just. Insofar as it lies in your capability, to live at peace with all people, with people. and and uh, therefore, as you say, not to beat oneself up if if one has done all that one can, mm. um, as it sounds in this situation is the case. Sure, yeah, but at the same time, not not to withdraw <coughs> that forgiveness no, because that, you can get to yeah. a point of saying, okay, well, I can't do anything else. I'm going to just, in some sense, move on and leave this behind. Or I'm going to end up as cross as the person is. Exactly. Yes. Because right. they won't forgive yeah. me. <laughs> um, but that's different from saying, okay, I'm going to stop offering forgiveness and, yeah. and just get on with my life. You can you can still kind of mm. keep on offering that forgiveness. So it's there whenever it want, needs to and be And it has taken to be up. there because it's, it's our characteristic Christian yeah. prayer, isn't it? The Lord's mm. Prayer. That's right. Forgive us our trespasses yeah. as we forgive those who trespass against us. So it has to be something mm. that we go on trying to learn. 
Great. Well, thank you. Hope that's of some help um, in that uh, very interesting and good good question. Um, just to move on to another one, uh, this is from um, Chris, Chris Bentley, who um, sent in this very interesting uh, email. And uh, he says this, thank you for your fantastic podcast. I thought I'd uh, read out that bit. You know, just yes. so. Is, is that, that's ourselves. presumably the one with Tom Wright, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, keep, it doesn't keep, mention keep Tom the Wright. flattery coming. <laughs> it's just us. <laughs> and um, so he says, I have a question. If in the new creation we are still human, albeit made new, and as we were originally intended, what is to say that we won't fall again? Presumably we will still have the freedom that we have now and that led to our fall in the first place. Will we be back to where we were when we started, as Adam and Eve were before the fall, or will we be new and improved models? And if so, why were we not made like that in the first place? Hmm. Uh, perhaps we will have free will, but there will be nothing to tempt us. Juicy looking fruit, nasty, deceitful snakes, that kind of thing. But then would we be really <laughs> free if the only choices to be made are nice ones, like who should I spend the next thousand years with, Graham or Mike? What a grim idea. Like. <laughs> so you'd be leaving purgatory. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, having, having, of course, just spent the last thousand years in Jane's company. That's Not so, being um, sufficiently improved, leading <laughs> Graham and Mike. <laughs> That's going downhill. <laughs> so there's the question. Now, um... Like you thought about this a little bit. I have, because I find that it's a question whenever, as you know, I'm kind of Dr. Evil and speak about the problem of evil at every uh, <laughs> available opportunity and quite a few unavailable ones. Um, and every time I speak on this in public, somebody asks a version of this question. So mm. it's obviously one that really does kind of trouble people. The, feel, the feeling that the whole thing might unravel again mm. and we might be back to where we are in the rather mixed economy of pain and joy that we have uh, around us at the moment. Um, let me let me attempt an answer, and let me do it by uh, reference to, and I've used this before, so apologies to those who've heard it before, but uh, a kind of paradigm good person, kind of Mother Teresa person. Now, Mother Teresa, when she was 12, was perfectly at liberty to go and mug some old man in the streets of Calcutta. Um, by the time she was 70, uh, she was still free to go and mug some old man in the streets of Calcutta. Uh, there was no metaphysical constraint stopping her. She hadn't lost her free will. She'd just become, in the intervening period, the sort of person who, though free, is not going to do that because she's her character has been shaped by years of predominantly right ethical choices, by uh, a spiritual life, by reading the scriptures and praying and the sacraments and she through that process has become the sort of person who though free is not going to do it um, and when you add to that uh, the kind of transformation and healing and remaking that happens at death and resurrection it seems to me that that will complete that process so that we'll still be free there'll still be no metaphysical constraint stopping us from sinning but we will have become the sort of people who won't do it. Why can't God make us like that in the first place? Because you can't be made with a moral history. That's something that it takes time to have. You cannot be made with a freely chosen character. It takes time to have and acquire uh, character. Um, and therefore, uh, God can't make us like that. He can only make us as a, as a blank sheet. Uh, but through a process of sanctification and then of remaking, we can be made such that, uh, though free, we, we don't go wrong. I find that a very convincing answer, actually. Mm -hmm. I might want to bring in a Christological dimension. I find it oh. very interesting that um, the Gospels and Hebrews in particular tells us that Jesus also had 
the freedom, the choice to sin. Yes. Um, but chose not to. Yes. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people often want to forget about Jesus. They assume that he that he was never tempted, but Hebrews specifically tells us that he was mm. tempted like we are, um, but but chose not to fall. Mm. Um, so that if if you add the the dimension of being in Christ <coughs> into the the mix that you've given us yes. about the new heaven and the new earth, that also might be um, something that begins mm. to transform us, being in the presence of, of mm. Christ. But you have a particular yeah. theory as well. Well, no, I, have, yeah. I want to do questions for you. Oh, okay, okay. And then I'll give you my theory. Right, that give me the right answer. No, 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 no. Just I think it just maybe adds something. Um, so do you, do you think, therefore, that when we were created, I mean, I think it's Irenaeus has this sort of idea that um, that in some way we are, you know, we were we were created as... Um, incomplete. Incomplete, or, or, or maybe another image is that we were created as human beings as perfect in the sense that a baby is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, you know, you can look at a baby and think that's a, a perfect baby, but it's not yet a perfect adult. Mm. It has to grow into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And therefore, when we talk about the perfection of... Adam and Eve, the perfection of humanity as made, we're talking about something which has potential rather than something that mm. is complete in itself and therefore has to grow into maturity. Um, do, do, do you go along with that? I go along with that precisely for the reason that I've been saying, that you know, there's a sense in which we are tabula rasa, we are born as a blank sheet of paper mm. and have to create something out of that in dialogue with mm. God, basically, and, and with one another yes. and, and mm. with ourselves and our environment and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, so I, I go along with it to that extent. I, I have problems not with our ears, um, mm. but with the way he's used, uh, uh, particularly in the problem of evil debate. Yeah, I um, thought you might. <laughs> <laughs> John Hick uh, famously mm. builds up what he calls an Aaronian theodicy, a way mm. of dealing with the problem of evil based on this idea of Aaronesis, in which he tries to say, well, the world is um, kind of the same, that it's made uh, not yet perfect uh, in order to become perfect, and that suffering is part of the not yet perfectness mm. of the creation. Now, I have real problems with that because that attributes suffering to mm. God and says it's his will in mm. some way, which mm. I think I radically want to say, no, it isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not his idea yeah. in the first place. But with Aeneas' own idea that, sure, there is, there is room for growth and God doesn't make us as we are. He mm. makes us with potential and then relates to us mm. and tries to draw that potential out in ways that respect who we are and our own choices and decisions. But I suppose... I mean, just to play devil's advocate for a moment, yeah, the sort it's, of John, it's a role you do Pitt frighteningly thing. well. <laughs> uh, you could argue that um, the way in which we do develop as human beings, the way in which we learn to make good moral choices, is by getting it wrong and by by encountering difficulty and encountering encountering suffering. And that actually, in, you know, Scripture says in certain cases, it is through suffering that we we, we learn that we grow as moral beings and as we uh, and so on. So you know, one one could see that. That in the way we un- understand life at the moment, the way we experience it, even the way that the scriptures talk about it, that um, suffering is part of our growth into that maturity. So, do do you imagine? I'm say if 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 the world maybe this is a hypothetical question, I guess, but um, but if the world had not fallen, how would that process of of growth have have happened without suffering as being the grit in the oyster that produces the pearl, as it were? Um, I call this the public school argument <laughs> because it's basically saying anything that's really unpleasant you. is good for you. <laughs> and if you're enjoying yourself, you must be up to no good at all. Yeah. Um, <coughs> and I don't 
think it's true. I think, uh, for one thing, the miracles of Jesus would have been um, really unhelpful uh, if that were the case, if suffering was really good for you, uh, Jesus mm-hmm. should have said, oh, no, I'm not going to heal you, because yeah. that will yeah. take away, you know, you're becoming a pearl, and this is the great. No, he, t- yeah. he said, just went ahead and healed people. Um, I agree that in the current fallen world, yes, we do grow through um, our encounter with suffering, and we're deepened by it, but... It, in an unfallen world, we wouldn't have needed that grit to become oysters. Yeah. Uh, we'd have needed time. Yeah. We'd have need, needed possibly difficulty, but not necessarily pain. Yeah. Uh, at least not that kind of suffering that yeah. is currently part of our mix of experience. Um, so I, I, I don't want to concede mm-hmm. um, any kind of suffering as part of the necessary mix. It, it's, it's rather, and I, I hate the necessity argument. It's rather like in the days of um, uh, apartheid, you know, people were saying, oh, it's inevitable that there will be a bloodbath. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's never inevitable, and it proved not to be inevitable. Um, and I don't think sin is necessary. I don't think evil is necessary. Uh, otherwise, you'd have God sort of saying, you know, don't eat of this, but secretly wanting us to. Mm. In which case, I think he loses all moral seriousness. Mm. No, he doesn't want it. He doesn't like it. It's mm. not of him. Um, once it's happened and once it's got into the system and messed it up, he will use it. And he will use it to deepen yep. us and to extend us as, as human beings. So is that is that how you'd understand I mean, the beginning of James where he says, you know, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and blah, 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 blah. Exactly, exactly right. Is God that, will use that, but it's yeah. not his, you know, he doesn't want yeah. suffering any more than he wants sin. Yeah, so it's contingent rather than necessary. Yes, and he's largely talking about persecution. God presumably doesn't want people to persecute other people. Yeah. <laughs> so now that you've questioned Mike, let's hear your theory. <laughs> <laughs> now my theory just, well, I think it, it sort of adds something. I think it's very compatible with what Mike is, is saying. Because I think what Mike's point is about our moral growth as human beings, that we, you know, we become the kind of people who don't do that kind of thing. Mm. And, um, and I suppose, I mean, one question I, I have a, well, that slightly remains in the, the background of that is, well, you know, we can observe a lot of people who, however good they become, but, you know, even when they're very mature, they are still susceptible to temptation. And, and mm. um, if you can imagine them going as they were into mm. the new heaven and new earth wreck it. they might still um, make bad choices yep. and, even and we might. even <laughs> even with <laughs> a thousand years of us <laughs> for yourself jane <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and so i think there's this i think I'd, I'd just simply want to add one part of it which is i think part of this the answer is that we do grow as moral beings to be the kind of people who, who will not choose that but the other thing is there is something about the new heaven and the new earth i think in itself the environment in which we're placed that actually makes that um, that, that makes a difference. And it seems to me that one of the, the, the things we experience here is a great deal of moral confusion over the fact that we just don't know what is good and what is bad for us because it all seems terribly kind of confused and mixed and, and we're not easily able to recognize the difference between good and evil, what is going to harm us and what is going to help us. Um, it's as if our vision is blurred here. Um, whereas it seems to me that if... That, I mean, that in the new heaven and the new earth, in the new age, um, we will still be able to... We, we, no, one of the differences is that we will be able to see much more clearly uh-huh. Uh-huh. what is good for us and what is bad yes. for us, what is yes. harmful, what is helpful, what is good and what is evil. Now, we are still free to choose evil, but we would never do it because it will suddenly seem to us as something ugly and horrible. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a wonderful moment at the end of... Um, 
I think it's Edmund Spencer's great Elizabethan poem, the, the Fairy Queen, where he um, goes through all these different. Oh, he's very learned, isn't he? Yeah, that's terribly he's impressive. always well, I did, <laughs> very learned. I did, I did do an English degree once, so, um, so did I, but I didn't know it. <laughs> you forget the Fairy Queen, but um, there's this, this character called Duessa, who is the, who is this um, you know it's this sort of uh, and, and she's a very beautiful woman. She's um, you know, and she's very kind of attractive and and. God, I imagine what I've forgotten that bit. <laughs> and then, uh, but actually, she is underneath it. She is false. She is falsehood. That's why you've forgotten it. That's yes, why that's falsehood. what I. And at the end of at the end of the poem, she is suddenly revealed for who she is, and suddenly her beauty falls away, and she's actually this ugly, horrible, wrinkled old hag. You know. And the transformation is made, and so, and I guess the the point that's being made is that here that that um, in this life, evil and falsehood uh, appears to us is quite attractive and, and and beautiful, and we you know we are, we're attracted to gossip and jealousy and anger and hatred because you know we think oh these are sort of good I don't know aggressive macho things to do or whatever, um, but actually in the new heaven and the earth these things will suddenly be seen for what they are they are ugly and horrible and no one would ever want to touch them, and. I mean, it's a rather gross image, I know, but um, I often think of you know, you know, dogs who 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 kind of throw up on the pavement and then start eating it. <laughs> now, um, you know, that's a kind of horrible idea, um, and it's a bit like you know, you, you think of of that now as a human being, we would never do that. Um, we're perfectly free to do it. Nothing's stopping us eating our own vomit. It's probably get edited out this bit. Um, <laughs> I'm about to faint. But, um, <laughs> I'm about to vomit. <laughs> but yeah, we would never do it because it's the most ugly and horrible thing you could possibly imagine. Now, it seems to me that it'll be a bit like that in the new heaven and the new earth. We will see evil for what it is. Mm. We will be perfectly free, as you say, metaphysically to choose it, but we would never do it because it will just seem to us something horrible and disgusting. Can I ask some questions in return? Oh, yeah. Not that I'm trying to, you know, going in for ignoble retaliation. Perish <laughs> the thought. <laughs> My questions uh, are very gentle, thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I agree with, with that. I think I don't think it's very true that we are completely, our perception is completely warped at the moment as long, along with everything else. It, mm. We're kind of, um, we, we see through a glass darkly, not mm. face to face. And there's something about the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, that uh, we will see God as he is. And that God will, will be our light. And God will be our light. The sun. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. But, mm. Um, of course, it was like that before the angels rebelled, sure. isn't it? Yeah. And yet they rebelled. Yeah. Um, so how on your... Theory. Is that where you come cap in hand to my theory? Well, I think I think I think we need both. I mean, yes. I think we need both the sense of moral growth as mm -hmm. a, you know, as individuals and as as people and as a people as a human race, but we also need the sense of mm. of that the, the whole world is pushing right to a system. Exactly, yeah. that's right. So it's not just that we are we become new kind of people and therefore we're we're able to do it uh, on our own, as it were, but also the world is changed. So I think we need we need both of those those. Mm. Um, those arguments to make sense of the whole thing. So I, I, I don't think it would be enough to say that, yes, we'll be able to see it clearly, but we will still be exactly the same. We need to grow in, yes. in that kind of... Yes. So perhaps what we need to bring in more explicitly is is, is the transformed relationships. I mean, even yeah. in our fallen state, what actually affects most of us um, in our ability to make good and bad choices is the relationships yeah. uh, around yeah. us. Yeah, um, sure. And in a, a, a community, a transformed community, the body of Christ, that is actually once again joined to Christ, um, those relationships will also help us to be yeah. the people that we're meant to be, right, yes. rather than sometimes hindering us as sure. they occasionally yeah. do now. And I guess that I mean the the prime example in some ways in our 
world is, is of course, Jesus himself, who, of course, was, as we said, was, was free to sin, but chose not to and was able not to. And who grew, grew yeah. says Luke too, sure. in, in his That's right. in stature with God. Indeed, and, uh, exactly. which again is such a very revolutionary thing to say, isn't Stunning. it? Stunning, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I find it interesting that both Jewish tradition about the angels and uh, biblical tradition about human beings suggests that it's early on that they fell. And there's, there's a vulnerability to oh, early yes. on yeah. before you've built up a character, before you've built up momentum and ballast in the right direction. Um that means that you're particularly vulnerable to fall yes, at that point. Mm. Uh, the Jewish tradition had the angels falling on either the second day or the fourth day of creation, but but mm. very early on. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's picking up on this mm. this kind of sense that we are before they knew God and each other. Yes, and really built well. up those yeah. structures, yeah. those relationships, yeah. those understandings. Very good. Mentioning angels, at some point we ought to get Jane to talk about her new book. We should on angels, which is uh, just come out before Christmas. And it's published by Lion Lion Hudson. What's it called? Angels. Angels. <laughs> it's enough. a catchy title. <laughs> I you, did you spend hours, hours thinking about <laughs> it? <laughs> but it's very good, and it's got wonderful pictures in it. It has it got wonderful have, pictures. Fabulous. Yes. And, by Linda um, Baker Smith. It is actually a beautifully produced book. It is, yes. That's right. So uh, do get hold of that, and uh, at some future God Pod, we might persuade Jane to talk about angels. I think that would be a very good idea. But. Um, not today, because we've got one more question to look at, and um, that is this one. Uh, this is someone from, uh, he's called Anderson, Anderson Marsh. And the question is this. There's been a great deal of speculation recently over the idea of animals having souls and having a place in heaven with us. I wonder what your thoughts on this are. Now, I think Jane and I don't have any much thoughts about this, but... Funny Mike does. Mike has opinions on most things. On everything, yes. So, so I um, put in my one thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is um, not really a theological thought. It's just an observation about how many people actually prefer animals to people. And how it, the, the thing that you love most is the thing that whose presence in heaven you want to assure with you. I think it's, I think it's Augustine who says something about pretty well everything, rather like Mike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Only he published them and I don't. <laughs> I think it was Augustine who said that, that one of the things we actually really need to learn is to love things in proportion to what they are. Hmm. So love an animal as an animal, hmm. but not as your baby not as your brother or your sister. Mm. And I suspect that there is a dimension now in our very dislocated lives that actually finds animals easier to relate to than each other. Mm. And that's a bit that that I think I would want to to at least talk to. I mean, somebody who was really desperately concerned about their animal's presence in heaven, I would want to ask them why, right. <laughs> in that sense. Yes, yes, my dog doesn't answer back. Doesn't question and me. loves me unconditionally. And doesn't yes, um, yeah. give me a hard time. Yeah. And doesn't reject me yeah. in the way that people, people may do. well yeah. have done. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's a hurt thing, isn't it? It's yeah. Very largely. Yeah. Um, although, of course, one needs to remember that animals do hurt. You know, <laughs> it, there are crocodiles as well as yes. dogs in this world. Yes. Mm. I mean, it's a hurt thing, and, it, and it's also, um, if I'm being <coughs> brutal, I think it's sometimes an unwillingness to work at things with uh, with an animal you you get in really very quickly to a, a relationship that that is easy to maintain uh, and human beings you have to work We're with a bit higher maintenance yes <laughs> and i think we can be very lazy about our relationships but anyway i've now over to you that's a very good thought Jane. It's, a, it's a very good thought indeed um Yes, Augustine wrote 500 books, or at least we have 500 books of his. So he's at least 
he, he had opinions and wrote them down, which is where he, I differ from him. Um, <laughs> Okay, well, let me, this is going to be mildly controversial. Um, uh -oh. Actually, I promised it wouldn't be, but it probably will. Um, I suppose I have a problem both with the word heaven and with the word soul in the title, which I think makes it more difficult to answer this question. Um, it's an interesting uh, observation that I actually looked through the 750 references to the word heaven uh, in the Bible, and not one of them refers to heaven as a place you go to when you die. Um, that's not to say that we don't. there isn't an afterlife. Of course there is. <clears throat> but it's normally referred to by such titles as at the resurrection. Jesus talks about at the resurrection. Or at the putting right of all things. Um, or in the new he heavens and the new earth. It's about the remaking of the whole of creation, not abstracting us from this creation into something different. Uh, so our destiny is to be remade, re-embodied within a remade physical universe, more than physical, but not less than physical universe. Um, and that that's part of my problem with the word soul as well, that it's... Uh, uh, is a Greek idea, um, and I think that distorted the reading of Scripture. Uh, when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, she doesn't mean that my larynx isn't working. It means me in my depths. <laughs> it doesn't mean that there's no physical physicality to it. Uh, the Jewish conception of soul was, was an aspect of who I am rather than a detachable thing, uh, I would suggest. Um, and therefore... It, the question could be put, are there going to be animals in the new creation? Right. And that makes it a much easier question mm -hmm. to answer. If it's a remaking of heaven and earth, if it's a remaking of this universe, this cosmos, free now from all the things that mar it, spoil it, divide it, and make it tragic, um, then of course there'll be animals. And lions will lie down with lions. And li exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. And that seems to me to be um, the prophetic basis for, for arguing that Yes, of course, animals will be part of that creation because they're part of God's cre original creation. They're therefore the objects of his love, and he's not going to leave them behind. Uh, I love the bit from the end of the um, Feeding of the 5,000 where he says, gather up all the fragments that nothing be lost. Mm. And I, I see that as a little mm. picture of what he's going to do at the remaking of the heavens and earth. He's going to gather up all the fragments that nothing be lost. Uh, and that creation now operates as it was always intended to operate with animals playing their part in the glory of God, um, ruled over and cared for and looked after, now properly by human beings under God, mm. um, as was God's original plan and purpose. <coughs> so my um, little King Charles Spaniel. Yes. There is hope for her yet. I, I, I rather hope there's hope for her now. <laughs> do you do feed? Do you remember to feed her this morning? Yeah, most of the time. Most yeah. the time. Yes. Well, I mean, of course, the, it is a further question as to whether, you know, to say there will be animals in the new creation is one thing. To say will my particular um, dog or whatever be there, um, I have no particular biblical warrant for, other than the gathering up all things that nothing mm -hmm. be lost argument um, and that seems to me and the argument that of course we do have relationships with our, our pets and our animals and that sort of thing I agree with Jane that it's not to be the same kind of relationship that we have with with uh, our brothers and sisters and colleagues and whatever but nevertheless there is a relationship and therefore <coughs> we wouldn't be complete without those relationships being restored and renewed in what way they can as well so 
I'm, I'm more hesitant in asking, answering that particular question, but I still want to give it a positive answer in, based on my surmise of the character and purpose of God, I guess, mm. and the way he traditionally works, char- I mean, my, characteristically works. My little... Sorry, Joe, were you going to... I was only going to say, so um, most... You, you, Graham, like me, must have had to conduct animal funerals. <laughs> Can't say I have, actually. Have you not? No. Actually, well, I have actually. Yes, I've done. Yes, I have done. I, I have buried the odd guinea pig and and um, right. with, goldfish with, with and hamster. And yeah, we have actually. Yes. Yeah, I've buried a hamster or two in our Did family. Do you use the phrase "ensure certain hope of the resurrection <laughs> of the dead"? I think I hedged my bets on that one. Yes, I, I think I, I, I seem to remember when my husband conducted such a service. He also hedged his bets and talked about God's love for His creation hmm. and how, therefore, hmm. the hamster in question was not outside hmm. God's love. But, um, yeah, that's, that's right. the Mother Teresa thing, isn't it? Yeah. When she sees the hazelnuts and yeah. God says, "This is all it is." Mother Julian. Mother, I'm getting oh, Mother Teresa on the brain. Mother, <laughs> Ju- Mother Julian, um, and uh, she wonders that it continues to exist yeah. because it was so small, and God says it continues to exist because I love it. Yes. Um, mm. Well, my only um, half penny worth to add to this very erudite discussion is. Um, I think I was looking for the reference, so I can't quite find it at the moment. But um, I think it's in one of the, the temptation stories of Jesus, where after the temptation, it talks about how the wild animals came and ministered to him, mm. which is a very interesting little insight. Mm. That it's, it's as if, as you know, the temptation story of Jesus, I think, is a kind of reworking of the kind of Exodus um, wanderings of Israel. Israel attempted in the the desert and they fail. Jesus is tempted in the desert and he passes the test he is the true son of god and at the end there's this little sort of picture if you like again as you said about the new heaven and the new mm. earth and it's and, and it is jesus the son of god the the new humanity um with the wild animals ministering him ministering to him they're not a threat to him they're not trying to kill him they're there but they are cooperative with him and it's very interesting when you see a lot of the stories of the early desert monks in the sort of third fourth fifth centuries of the church a lot of stories to that are these, mm. these strange guys out in the desert with their long beards and yes. and jerome and, and francis yeah. and, yeah. Uh, and a lot of those stories are characteristic are, yeah of, of lions and bears <coughs> and and these wild animals out in the desert who come and minister to these strange holy men mm. and women uh, in in the desert and, and again and it's the same picture by them because yeah. it's their yeah. holiness that enables those restored relationships isn't yeah, it that's right yeah. or have a thorn taken out of their yes. paw yeah. or whatever yeah. Yeah. That's right. and and even in ordinary kind of non non saintly lives you get people you hear being rescued by dogs or dolphins mm-hmm. or whatever don't you there is a yeah. potential for cooperation and, and harmony and there does seem to be some research that suggests that that cooperation and that affection between humans and animals is actually physically good for us yes um, and that therefore that is meant to be part of how we live in in, in mm. creation is actually in relation with, with the non-human creation as well. They've started, for instance, allowing old people in old yeah. people's homes to have pets and a things because it's, exactly. it's so good for yeah. them. Yeah. 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 So therapeutic. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure. And Jane. Nice to hear you. Uh, it's been good to... Um, we're here today and uh, do listen in in a few weeks time there'll be another God Pod um, around we've got some guests coming in over the next uh, few times which we're looking forward to a great deal and uh, until next time goodbye bye bye that was God Pod 
a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye.